Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 268. Today we are discussing Gary Lonesborough's Ready When You Are, which is our February 2023 book club pick. Before we get into our book club discussion, I wanted to remind you that we are continuing to release bonus content on Patreon. We do a bonus episode every month that's exclusive for Patreon subscribers, and we also have a text-based, this is varied depending on the month, but we have a text-based resource as well for our Patreon subscribers, just as a way to say thank you for supporting the podcast. You can always get to the link in the show notes, and also you can go to patreon.com slash unabridgedpod. We really, really appreciate your support there. Before we talk about our book club, we wanted to share our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? I am currently working my way through the Tournament of Books shortlist, and so I am listening to Julia Langbein's American Mermaid, and oh, wow, it is so good. So it's kind of bizarre. So this one has sort of dual storylines. So in one of them, there is a high school teacher named Penelope Schleeman, who likes teaching, but wants to do some other things too, and so she writes a book called American Mermaid that unexpectedly becomes a bestseller and gets optioned for Hollywood. And so Penelope quits her job and goes to Hollywood to help write the screenplay. And it's really amusing. So she is matched up with these two co-writers who work together a lot. They're both guys. And basically, they want to change every single thing about her book. (laughs) And she is constantly very earnestly trying to explain why the book is the way it is. And they're like, right, but you can't put that on screen. And so anyway, (laughs) so then the other storyline is the book itself. You get all these excerpts from American Mermaid. And basically, it is about this woman named Sylvia, who has been wheelchair bound her entire life. And through this accident... Well, basically, she has become quite depressed, and she decides to commit suicide, and she pushes her wheelchair off of a pier into the ocean, and then she has a tail and realizes that she is a mermaid. And this was something that her parents knew her whole life, and they hid from her. And so when they found her... This, of course, is all very complicated. But basically, when they found her on the beach, they wanted to keep her. And so they paid this doctor to split her tail into legs so that she would look more normal. But they weren't functional legs. And the doctor sort of did this secret thing where they could convert back to a tail again. And she is, over the course of the novel, setting out to prevent the end of the world because of climate change and her dad's all wrapped up. Anyway, so it's very complicated, very serious, very earnest and about the state of the world and 
so then when you're switching into this very serious novel and then back into Penelope's attempts to hold on to the serious nature of her novel, when the guys are like, well, it needs to be rated PG and they want to make the girl a teenager and they want it to be a romance, even though in the book she doesn't have any reproductive or I mean, it's just like all of these things. <laughs> anyway, so I'm really enjoying it. I think the audiobook is fabulous. I should have looked up the narrator. I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes because I can't remember the narr- narrator right now. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. I don't know how it's going to wrap up. It's taken some very interesting directions later in the book that I did not expect at all. But it's great. So that is Julia Langbein's American Mermaid. Wow. That is a very, <laughs> it's a that's a very interesting premise. <laughs> it is. Yes. It, it is. Yeah. I'll be interested right. to hear after you've listened to it all. But yeah, that sounds... I do appreciate when books have that contrast between the one part, like in this case, the novel, and then mm-hmm. the other part. And yeah, sometimes that can be really interesting. Yeah, it's fun. It is, I, I really don't know how it's going to wrap up. Some interesting things have happened in this last chapter. So we'll see. Ashley, <laughs> what are you reading? I am reading Linda Holmes's Flying Solo. Jen initially first told me, I think, about Linda Holmes. And I loved Evie Drake Starts Over. And so that was another book by her that I really enjoyed. And then this one, I just had on my Kindle. And I was like, oh, I love Linda Holmes. I'm going to try this. And so far, what I have read is just about the main character is Laurie. And she is from a small town in Maine. And yet she lives on the other coast and has her, you know, adult life is very different. But she's coming back to Maine to clean out her great aunt's home. Her great aunt's name is Dot. And she was 93 or in her 90s when she passed away. But Laurie has these really fond memories of her growing up. They lived in the same town and Laurie had a big family and was always kind of escaping to Dot's house where she got a lot of peace and quiet and had some really amazing experiences with her. So she loved Dot very much, but Dot was a single woman. She was single her whole life and never married. She had lots of interesting things that she did. And yet at her death, there's this moment where it's like, okay, what happens to her belongings? What happens to her photos? What happens to her legacy basically in a situation where she has decided not to have her own family and Lori is almost 40 she has recently had a canceled wedding and has gone through both like the heartbreaking but also kind of the hilarious aspects of realizing that it's not the pathway that you want for your life and then also having to like deal with all the repercussions of that and so there's a lot of kind of absurd things of like having to send back checks and write apology notes to people and mail back all these gifts and so she is dealing with her own like baggage and then also looking at dot's life and and the things that dot has left behind and she also is looking toward turning 40 and remaining single and what that looks like and so you just see Laurie working through a lot of different things. But then there's also this duck that she comes across early on in the book. And it is has been very carefully 
preserved but also hidden in Dot's house. And so immediately she's kind of alerted to it because it's in like pristine condition. It's clearly handmade. And yet it's also kind of mysterious. And she can't figure out why it was so carefully preserved but also hidden away. And so she's interested. And then part of the estate process, there is someone who is helping them clean out Dot's house and, you know, make sense of what's in there and figure out what is of value and what to just let go of or donate or, you know, those kinds of things. And so there's lots of people kind of getting involved in the process of figuring out if the duck has any value and trying to appraise it and trying to figure out the mystery behind it. And all of that at this point is just beginning, but I can tell that is really significant also. And then finally, she has her best friend who's been her best friend her whole life who's helping her a lot with the clean-out process and who has stayed in Maine when Laurie has gone on and chosen to live elsewhere. And then she is connecting back with a childhood sweetheart, a high school sweetheart who is still in the town, who runs the library, and he is helping with the clean-out process also. And so all of those things are going on. And I am, I mean, I just am really interested in seeing what happens. I'm really enjoying looking at Laurie's perspective on what we leave behind and what that means and, you know, how to honor someone you love. So I think all of that's been really interesting. And then I'm also intrigued by the mystery of this duck. So mm-hmm. um, that is Linda Holmes's Flying Solo. Love that book so much. <laughs> I just love Linda Holmes. I could rave about her, but she's on... NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, and this is her second novel. Every Evie Drake Starts Over was her first, and yeah, I just love all the things she writes and says and does. Yeah, she's a great writer, and I'll have to listen to her on podcast too because mm-hmm. I love her voice in the books, but that's all, really all I know of her at this point, so that's cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, today we're going to be discussing Gary Lonesborough's Ready When You Are, and to get us started, I'm going to read the publisher's synopsis on this one. A remarkable YA love story between two Aboriginal boys, one who doesn't want to accept he's gay, and the boy who comes to live in his house who makes him realize who he is. It's a hot summer, and life's going all right for Jackson and his family on the Mish. It's almost Christmas, school's out, and he's hanging with his mates, teasing the visiting tourists, avoiding the racist boys in town. Just like every year, Jackson's auntie and annoying little cousins visit from the city, but this time, a mysterious boy with a troubled past comes with them. As their friendship evolves, Jackson must confront the changing shapes of his relationships with his family, friends, and community. And he must face his darkest secret, a secret he thought he'd locked away for good. We're going to talk about overall impressions first. Jen, what was your overall impression of this one? I really, really loved this. We chose it not knowing a lot about it, and I'm so glad we landed on this book. We did choose it partially for the reading challenge. This one fits the category romance or love story by an indigenous author. And, you know, we we went in not knowing a ton. And I just really loved it. I thought that the way Jackson's character was developed really did justice to him as a whole person, which I appreciated. It was not focused on just one part of his identity. He is at a time when he's trying to figure out who he is, who he wants, or what he wants for his future, who he is in relation to his family and his friends, what he wants out of romance, what he thinks about his history. And I thought as well that it's such a strong evocation of his community and of what it's like to be 
in Australia as an Indigenous, as an Aboriginal person. And yeah, I just, I was really blown away by the writing and there is a strong plot, but it was the characters, I think, that stood out for me. So yeah, what about you, Ashley? What were your overall impressions? Yeah, I thought that the things that were most impactful were the way that we see Jackson reconciling who he truly is with his place in a larger community Mm -hmm. and trying to make sense of that and finding out that maybe it's both different than and not as complicated as he thought it could be. And so I really love that. I thought that we see him and Thomas working through really hard things, Mm -hmm. but we also see how people can rise up and be better than we think that they will be. And so I just loved all of that because I thought that's such an important message. And I do think that while that's not always true, it can be true. And I love that there are stories showing that to teens, that there is both an opportunity to have love, find love, and help it be a part of who you are as a person. But then also that there can be a community like the Kaori community that he's in who might react very differently than the Mm -hmm. way that you expect them to. And so I just thought, yeah, overall, that was something that really worked for me. Mm -hmm. What is something specific? I feel like we're kind of talking about what works for us, but (laughs) what is something specific, Jen, that you thought stood out and worked for you? I thought that the way Jackson came to see his mother differently over the course of the book was really lovely. And, you know, all teenagers and their parents have complicated relationships. But I thought he really came to see his mom as an artist and to see the way she's a busy woman. She's a single mother. She has kids. She has a job. And she's taking time out to nurture the artistic part of herself and to use that to build a stronger bond with her sister. And... I don't know how it's not always conscious, but I think you see Jackson starting to do the same things in his own life and to really come to appreciate his own artistic talent and the way that it can connect him to his community. I love seeing him with the group of men who are just talking explicitly about what it means to be who they are in the Mish and I just really thought that his growing understanding of his mom was reflective of a growing understanding of who he was. And I just thought it was really beautiful. I love the scene where she and her sister are describing the significance of the art that they've been working on together for so many visits and that they've been really patient with it. And he really appreciates what they've put together. So I I just thought that whole storyline is relative. Well, I don't know. I was going to say it's small, but I do think it's related to the core of his understanding of his own identity. So I thought that was beautiful. How about you, Ashley? Yeah, I loved that about art. I think just to build on to what you were saying, just the idea that art helps us be who we are, Mm -hmm. I thought was a really integral part of the story for him, for Thomas, Mm -hmm. for his mom and his aunt. And so I loved that, just seeing that our way of expressing ourselves through what we create is a big part of who we are. I thought that was really beautiful. But another thing that really worked for me was the setting in this Mm -hmm. book and the way it's brought to life. And I think because Thomas is coming from the city 
And then Jackson has spent his life in the mesh, in the bush, in a very rural setting. I loved that. I thought it was just beautifully depicted, the wildlife that they encounter everywhere, the way that they can just go from being in their house to being in the bush. And all of a sudden there's kangaroos Mm -hmm. and... You know, there's just all of these. um, And I mean, the scary parts, too. I mean, we see the snake bite early on with his young cousin and how terrifying that is. Thank goodness he was okay, but like how scary that can be. And so we see both the like danger of the wild because it is the wild. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, and also the beauty. But I, I absolutely loved that, how they're in the canoes and they're going to the men's group and just I also noted like the times that he's barefoot everywhere mm-hmm. and you know just that idea of him part of how he's so grounded in his culture is because he is grounded in place and that he is really part of that place and that place is not just his house but like the world around him and I loved that I thought that was really beautiful and I think that we see Thomas admiring that about Jackson mm-hmm. but also like how different we see the contrast between Thomas's background of not having the roots, not being grounded in a place, and then of also being so both like family wise because mm-hmm. of all of his like how he's been passed around a lot, but also he doesn't have that sense of being grounded in nature in the way that Jackson does, and just you know he finds it beautiful and he mm-hmm. really loves it, and so I just I loved all that. I thought that was a really that was a part that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's share a quote that worked for us or something that stood out. Jen, what's something that you chose? So one of the more important storylines is, of course, Jackson realizing that he's gay and taking steps to share that identity with other people. And, you know, he's outed first and does not want to be. And one of his big fears is how these people that he's admired so much in his community will feel about him if they find out that he's gay. And so I really loved the conversation he had with Uncle Charlie. And this is, it's kind of a two-parter. I'm going to go ahead and share both. So Uncle Charlie says, usually when we call someone something like what he called you, and this is about his friend Jarney, it's because we don't understand. And when we don't understand, we get scared. So we try to make things normal again, and we attack what's making us scared. It just makes things worse. And then A couple paragraphs later, Charlie says, there's this shame. It took our people by the throat long ago. If we don't let ourselves be who we are, love who we are, where we come from, it'll strangle you until you can't fight it no longer. You know what I'm saying, Jackson. And so I just thought that Charlie handled that in such a great way because he wasn't denying that Jackson has several parts of his identity that are tough and aren't always accepted by people who don't understand. You know, he has the conflicts with Ethan, who is a white member of the community. And Jackson is keenly aware of how those racial politics are going to play out once the police get involved. And then he also has this part of himself that just does not feel like his own community is going to accept him for being gay. And when Jarney rejects him, that just feels like what he feared is going to come true. So then to have someone like Uncle Charlie, who he admires so much and who he has turned to again and again, show such understanding of 
all the parts of who Jackson is. I just thought that was really a beautiful conversation. That was one that brought me to tears the first time through. And I had a bunch of book darts on that page because I just thought it was so powerful. And it was something Jackson really needed to hear and to experience that acceptance from someone he really respected and admired. So I really loved that. Yes, I loved that reaction from Uncle Charlie. And then with Kaylin also, Mm -hmm. we saw such a different and welcoming response as opposed to the fear that Jackson had that he'd be rejected. Mm -hmm. And that was another time where I didn't know what to expect because I'm seeing it from his eyes and I have the same fears Mm -hmm. that he has for how it might go. And I just loved how in both situations, I think with Kaylin and with Uncle Charlie – they're kind of like, we know you, you know, mm-hmm. and not not that that means they're drawing conclusions about who he is or isn't, because that's for no one to decide but himself, but yet that they know him as a whole person. Yeah. So then, and they've known him and that that idea means that they can recognize all things about him and understand mm-hmm. them and embrace them. And so, yeah, I just thought that was really beautiful. But yes, Uncle Charlie is such an amazing character and we see, again, because we have Thomas in contrast to mm-hmm. Jackson, we see just how important having those older role models can be mm-hmm. in your life and how just like valuable their wisdom, the experiences that they're sharing, like all of that is just mm-hmm. really amazing. Well, it's just that they have that group that is explicitly about yes. providing role models for boys. And I thought, that's, I mean, that's just so needed and so smart. And I thought it was so powerful that it was in place. Yeah. I loved what you said too about Kaylin and the acceptance. And I also really love that moment when Kaylin's like, well, remember when you dressed up in your mom's clothes when we were little? And Jackson's like, but that didn't mean I was gay. And I just thought, yes. I really, I was so glad that that, it was a small moment in the grand scheme of the plot. It's small. But I thought it was really powerful that you don't need to misinterpret early signs just because it now fits the narrative that you're trying to shape. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley, what's a quote you wanted to talk about? Well, mine is from Uncle Charlie also. (laughs) Such a a quotable character. And he says, all I'm saying is we are connected, all of our people. Even if sometimes you don't feel like it, we are all connected. And I think why that stood out to me so much is that Jackson is afraid that if he is not the right kind Mm -hmm. of person, then he can no longer be connected to his culture. And so many times in so many ways throughout the story, he's like, but you can't be like that in the Mish. And just this idea that the Mish is so important to him. And even though he recognizes and deals with all of the problems that come with that and the ways that the police are Mm -hmm. badgering them all the time, the ways that the white boys in the community are discriminating against him the ways that he's impacted at school. And yet he also has a very strong sense of being a part mm-hmm. of the Mish and a part of that community. And in a lot of ways throughout the book, he wants to be part of that at any cost. Mm-hmm. And yet, as Uncle Charlie is telling him here, he's like, we are connected. Like, you, there's nothing you do or don't do that makes you connected or not connected. And I thought that was just a really powerful message. And there are several different quotes that are similar and different, you know, talking about that as far as culture and connection to each other. But it is that idea that like, it's not the actions, it's Mm -hmm. that 
you are part of it and there's nothing that you can do to be outside of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, again, I don't know that that's always true in the world, but I want it to be true. Yeah. And I loved in this story so many times the way that it speaks to what we hope is true for the young people in our lives. And so like, I loved that because I didn't think it was outside the realm of what can happen mm-hmm. for a teenage boy, but it is a good scenario of what can develop with, you know, with Kalen, with his family, with Uncle Charlie, Mm -hmm. with Jarney, who totally does more maybe the negative reaction that we worry can happen for people and yet comes around and, and really has to work his way through his mistakes that he made and, why he reacted that way and how he's going to do better. And mm-hmm. I just thought like all of that was just so beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked what you said about that connection. And I love the way you were talking about art earlier. We both talked about art earlier, the way that's reflected in Thomas's graphic novel and the way yeah. Thomas and Jackson are working together to shape this idea of a hero from the mish and yeah. what that would look like and how that person would become a hero And it was just so great to see that small story within a story that is being nourished by their own growing understanding of who they are, who they are together, who they are separately, what they prize about this place. Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on to our pairings and recommend, if you loved this one, something else you might enjoy. Jen, what is your pairing? What did you choose? So I'm recommending Benjamin Aliri Sayans' Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. That is the first book in a duology about the title characters, Aristotle and Dante, not the famous people, but two characters who are named after the famous people. And I'll just put in a plug for Patreon. Next month, we will be watching the film adaptation of Aristotle and Dante. So we are excited slash scared that it's not going to be a great adaptation, hopeful. (laughs) Anyway, so the story, I've read it a few times now, and it's just so beautiful. So Aristotle and Dante are friends. They, well, they meet in their teenage years. I think they're juniors in high school. That seems right. And they meet and become very good friends, and they are complete opposites. And it it is partially in their being opposites that each comes to understand himself better. And... I think just as in Ready When You Are, it is a book that is about their growing relationship and feelings for each other, but it is also about their separate identities, who they are as people, how they connect with their families and with their communities. And so I think there are a lot of echoes between these two books. I think they would be great in conversation with each other as you see you know, two teenage boys who are trying to figure out who they are in all the ways and the friendship between them, just like I felt like the friendship between Jackson and Thomas is central to their romantic feelings for each other later. Yeah, it's a beautiful book. I would highly recommend the audio, which is read by Lin-Manuel Miranda. The sequel is also great. Yeah, it's just one of those rich worlds that I can revisit again and again. And I have such feelings of affection for that book. So Benjamin Aliri Sciences, Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. Yes, that, that one was on my mind a lot too, Jen. And I 
love those books. And I think that especially Ari's character arc mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, I felt like echoed the character arc that Jackson is experiencing in this. And then Dante is more like Thomas. Mm-hmm. Like So there's this idea that like not everyone has the same understanding of themselves as teenagers, yeah. you know, that everybody reaches their own understandings about their identity at different paces and that there's not a right or wrong way. But a lot of that, I mean, and also kind of that straight out rejection. I mean, there's definitely parts where Thomas is more accepting and then Jackson is like straight out rejecting mm-hmm. who he is. And we see that with Ari as well. And in part, so yeah, I think, you know, that all of that is just such a beautiful story. Yeah, that's really good. Oh, all right, Ashley, what's your pairing? I am going to go with Alice Oseman's Heartstopper. We, this is a graphic novel series that we have both talked about occasionally on the podcast. It is, I'm just going to talk about the first book because I think that that is a great pairing for this, but it's about Nick and Charlie. And similarly, they are two boys. They become friends. They are very different from each other. And Charlie is gay. He's been outed against his will, but he is openly gay in their school setting. And Nick is a rugby player. He is a boy's boy. He is rough and tumble. He has a girlfriend. And yet he knows that there are things about him inside that other people do not perceive. And he's discovering what those things are. So I think similarly, it is a sweet story. It is a romance. It is a compassionate look at how we come to understand ourselves and see ourselves and also how other people see us. And it deals with those like social dynamics of what it means at school, what it means in public, what it means to be outed, like all of that, I think gets explored as we see and ready when you are also. And so, yeah, I think that there were, I love that series, and I also mm-hmm. think that it's a good pairing if you enjoyed this one. It's got some similarities. So, again, that's Alice Oseman's Heartstopper. Yeah, that popped into my mind as well. I think it's a great pairing. The same feeling, right? The same feeling, yes. I think. Beyond any plot description, I feel the same. Actually, all three of these works, I think. I feel the same way. Just this great affection for the characters and watching their journey. Well, let's end this part of our discussion with our bookish hearts. Jen, what? how many bookish hearts? Five. Easy five. How about you? <laughs> five for me, too. I did. It did take me just a little bit to get into this story. So I do want to say that it is a mm. fast read. But if it starts out a little slow, it's definitely worth staying with because you come to love. It's like what Jen said. The plot is great, but the characters are what you're really there for. And so I think just staying with it and seeing Jackson as he develops is really worth worth your time. And it's such a beautiful story. To end today, we are going to do our spotlight. Jen, what's something you want to spotlight? So my husband and I in, I don't even know when we saw it now, but watched The Holdovers at the theater. And I highly recommend that one. So it stars Paul Giamatti Dubai Joy Randolph and a newcomer named Dominic Sessa. And it takes place in the 1970s. It's directed by Alexander Payne, whose work I really appreciate. And it is about this boarding school for all boys. And Paul Giamatti's character is a teacher there. And he attended the school as well. 
and basically his life has not gone in the direction that he wanted. And he gets stuck being the teacher who stays with the boys who have nowhere to go over the Christmas break. Mm-hmm. And Dominic Sess's character, Angus, thinks he has somewhere to go. And then because of things within his family, ends up having to stay and ends up being the only boy who is there. And Divine Joy Randolph is, works at the college and lives there as well. And her son was just killed in Vietnam. And he was one of the few black students who attended the school. She was able to afford it because she works there. So it takes on so many issues. There is so much going on. And yet it's also just this very closely observed story of these three people who are stuck together and wouldn't necessarily choose to be stuck together over a holiday. So I highly recommend it. That is The Holdovers. It's so good. That sounds good. Yeah. How about you, Ashley? We have started rewatching The Good Place. Mm. This is one that if you have not watched this series, I just think it's phenomenal and it is definitely worth your time. It's also a good rewatch because it's one that the circumstances of the whole setting are like quite different <laughs> later on than you mm-hmm. think that they are in the beginning. And so it's a really fun rewatch because you know all the like, you know, plot twists. And so seeing it all from the beginning all over again, I just absolutely love the characters. It's phenomenally cast and I am having a lot of fun revisiting. So again, that's a good place, which I think got a lot of acclaim when it came out. But if you have not watched it, it's well worth your time. Yes, absolutely. Second that one. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Thanks to everybody who joined our chat for this book club discussion. If you're interested in chatting with us for our next book club, just make sure you check out Instagram at Unabridged Pod. We always post what we're reading and we do buddy reads and book club chats. And you're always welcome to read along and to chat with those of us who read it together on the Instagram space. But I loved this one. I know Jen did too. And we hope that you enjoyed reading. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. Unabridged.